Hi, this is Chris McGregor of Discerning Hearts, asking for your help during this Lenten and Easter season. Support from our listeners is vital and allows us to bring you and many others high-quality spiritual programs like the one you are listening to now. It also assists us in our outreach to areas around the globe, touching literally millions of souls via the World Wide Web. Our highly rated free Discerning Hearts app allows you to access over a thousand audio files as well as video content now available on our expanding YouTube channel. We've been able to offer online spiritual seminar retreats with Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Monsignor John Essef, and Deacon James Keating. The heart of our mission is to help foster authentic spiritual formation for the seeking soul so they can fully encounter the living Christ and share in his mission of healing hearts and spreading the good news to the world. Please, won't you help us to continue this important work of evangelization by donating today to DiscerningHearts.com. Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to DiscerningHearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless. DiscerningHearts.com presents Atonement, Soundings in Biblical, Trinitarian, and Spiritual Theology with Dr. Margaret Turek. Dr. Turek is a professor of theology and chair of Domatic Theology at St. Patrick's Seminary and University. She received her doctorate in sacred theology at the University of Freiburg in Switzerland. Her other publications include Towards a Theology of God the Father, Atonement, Soundings in Biblical Trinitarian and Spiritual Theology with Dr. Margaret Turek. Here is your host, Evan Collins. To establish it biblically again, if Christ has not risen, your faith is in vain. And St. Paul says, if if this isn't real, if, if Jesus didn't really do this, we are the most to be pitied. And that's true. That's true. And I think sometimes we want to we want to gloss over it, but to kind of enter into the overarching, the, the air we breathe, so to speak, what's going on in the culture, secularism, you know, this idea of humanism totally without God, living as if God doesn't exist, this eclipse of God, as Mark Buber famously says, that's this distinctive mark of our age. And when you look at that story, apart from this understanding that Christ showed us love suffering, he actually did this and we're participating in it with him. And we have hope of the salvation of the ones that Jesus died for and he desires to be saved. If you don't have that, the suffering really does seem meaningless. And I would I would go as far to say, and I have said this before, it is meaningless if that's not true. <laughs> I, I would go as far to say that it is meaningless if that's not true. But because it is true <laughs> that Christ entered into history, that in the Holy Spirit we're participating in his act of atonement, that we can vicariously represent those in Christ, by the Holy Spirit, that we can, and we should bring in these terms, that we can offer things up and we can give things away, that we can live a life of charity, in other words, that totally transforms the landscape of suffering, even if, visibly speaking, there does seem to be no meaning to the suffering. Right. Now, Evan, how important that is, what you just said, that Christian confession of hope, let's say, in the face of suffering, 
what an antidote to another problem in our culture, this culture of death, where death is sought out because we can't accept suffering. It has no meaning for us, whether it's the, the death of abort, you know, I'll abort my child, I'll, I'll will the death of, of my unborn child because I can't see meaning in the suffering that will be entailed in bringing this child into the world and sustaining him. Either, you know, under whatever circumstances that would bring about suffering for the mother or the parents. Or on the other end, there's the euthanasia, you know, legalizing assisted suicide and the like. Why uh, this, this culture of death? It has very much to do with the fact that we've lost the whole, we've lost faith in God, our true destination, but in whose bosom we're meant to return beyond death. And it who is present to us even now to sustain us with the love by which the suffering will be born. We know what we, we fail in hope and we fail in love. Yeah. And so we choose death on the front end and the back end of human existence or in the yeah. in between. We choose drugs. We'll choose sedatives. We'll choose behaviors that will dull the pain. Yes. Because to our mind, the pain has no meaning. Yes. And that's into, into also to say your point and to reiterate something we said before, you don't have to look for suffering. And I think that this is important for some Christians to hear. And so I just want to speak this to anybody that might be experiencing this. You should seek treatment and medical yes, attention yes, yes, yes. and care. If you are experiencing suffering, you should receive counseling or whatever these sorts of things that are that might be you should seek out friends and the love and assistance of others in community and all these things to bear to bear suffering with to receive help from the theology of atonement is not an excuse to not receive the healings of of community and others and god in your life so that's why and i think that this is one of the things jesus shows us it's not just his struggle of his will when he says like if this cup can pass for me it's a month. Yes. We yes. really should not. Yes. We shouldn't. It'd be a crazy thing yes. to desire horrific torture, abuse, and death, and all these things and stuff. And so there are, but this is for those situations that we can't remove ourselves from, those situations that we end up being called into by an act of the heart from the Holy Spirit. That's what yes. atonement helps us make yes. sense of. Those other things, that's sin. And yeah. we bring the the light of the sun into the places of sin to transform the world from within excellent points evan so very important thank you i could just think uh, i was just thinking in my head i was like you know that is something that could be a big blind side yeah and i i have heard people use the understanding of offer it up in a very unchristian yes. manner yes <laughs> and usually I, I dare say this in rather good fashion so we say offer it up it's like you know suck it up i mean it's, yeah. it's it's like just you know tough it out but that isn't what we need Christ, he suffered i mean as you said he he wept and and he sweat blood and he didn't just offer it up in the sense of being this this stoic uh, unfeeling man led to ex his execution it's love suffering it's not the the love of suffering it's when you're you're so right when you discern given that uh multi-factors when you discern 
that this is inevitable, this is unavoidable, how then ought I? What is the meaningfulness, dare I ask, for a purposefulness in this suffering? There's the gospel, the good news. That's right. Yes. You know, and I, I want to give also a shout out to JP too. We've been, I have been focusing a lot on Benedict in this conversation. But we think of JP too in his last year's suffering as he did publicly. Did he receive treatment? Yes. He did what he could to maintain his health as um, the vicar of Christ. But at the same time, he knew he was consenting to his condition as it deteriorated. But it, as his health deteriorated, he understood it was an invitation for him to now be the image of Christ, a member of Christ's body, in, in such a way that he was displaying before the world how one can suffer in and with and through Christ, suffer this debilitating illness and do so with grace mm-hmm. by nature and, and, I mean, supernatural and natural grace, if you will. Does that make sense? Absolutely. This is just so key to what we've been talking about. Now, there's a section in the book we haven't gotten to yet. We've mentioned it in passing and we don't necessarily have to talk about it at all in this conversation, but it's the section of the book where you talk about almsgiving. We've kind of mentioned it in passing here and there. We can discuss it. I think we want to maybe potentially, there's some things we can give people the opportunity if they desire to read the book to see, but if you had to take, if you had to like really briefly summarize your your main point, especially in that context of like the offering up the giving away notion. Now I'm trying to look, do you know what page would that be on in the book? Cause I'm looking right it now. Is, it is towards the end of chapter three and begins 207 at the very bottom of page 207. Two. And it extends, yeah, it extends quite a bit though. It extends all the way to 226. So two okay. so almost 20 pages worth of material, even if I, I could at least let me explain why I included it Yes, please. in this book. And then perhaps the quickest way to deal with it, and we'd be leaving out an awful lot of good stuff, a lot of the biblical basis for this, mm-hmm. by moving quickly to St. Therese again, whom I, I present as, as someone who exemplifies spiritual atonement in terms of spiritual almsgiving. Yes. She, as a Carmelite, didn't have two, two coins to rub together to having taken the vow of poverty. But there are ways almsgiving, giving away. We, it's to give away your treasures and our greatest treasure. This takes us back to what we've said all along here. Our greatest treasure is the possession of God. He is the greatest treasure. Our greatest treasure, say, is sacramental life. Yeah. That's our greatest treasure. So watch in a bit what Therese will advise her sisters in Carmel to do. Almsgiving. Why I felt I had to include almsgiving in this text is because in the late Judaism, and by that I mean in the, the couple of centuries just prior to the coming of the Son, the sending of the Son, Jesus Christ, in those say, let's say 300, 200, 100 BC, you'll find emerging 
and the thought of believing Jews, the understanding that sins can be atoned for, expiated, cleansed by means of atonement, a rather almsgiving. And you will, you will not find this in the earlier uh, books of the Jewish scripture. It's, it's a later development. We find it, though, endorsed by Jesus himself when he will say, you know, give away, da-da-da-da, and you will be clean. So that's, that's one point to know. Well, now, how, though, might one live this, this how is almsgiving as a means of atonement, an iteration, a version of this theology and spirituality of atonement that had been presented in the prior 200 pages of my book. And this process of atonement that the book had been developing, setting forth, you, Evan, identified, you know, from the outset, you identified those three factors integral to every process, to the process of atonement. Can we find those three factors at play in a theology and spirituality of almsgiving as atonement. And let me give a shot. Let me turn to St. Therese. And in my effort to answer your question, let's turn to Therese. Okay. Keep in mind the three factors or elements integral to the process of atonement from the beginning to the end of sacred scripture. Two factors are found on the side of God. One factor is found on man's side. On God's side, God takes the initiative out of luck to enable his beloved to collaborate by cleansing from sin, atoning for sin. The initiative that God takes involves the initiative, the first element, the sovereignly free initiative God takes involves Number two, God showing his own passionate involvement in the face of our sin, such that what he aims at by communicating his forgiving love in advance and showing us his love suffering in advance. He thereby is enabling us to collaborate with him and atone for sin. Well, what does Therese do? Almsgiving. Therese has no money, as I said, to give away. She has no worldly wealth. But what she does have is the wealth of divine grace. And so she realized, wow, all right, God, first of all, she's turning toward God because God has the initiative and he's the source and exemplar of our answer of love. Our answer of love will take the form of atonement, but because it's an answer, we must look to the initiating love that God models for us. How is that related to almsgiving, giving away our wealth? God the Father gained his greatest treasure. He gave it away. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's paternal almsgiving, so to speak, you know? I mean, again, this is the whole process. Go back and turn on God and learn from him what love is and what love does in the face of sin. 
What does the Father do in the face of our sin? He hands over. He gives away. He relinquishes his greatest treasure. The one treasure he holds close to his own bosom, John 1.18, his only son. And the son in his turn, what does he do? He mirrors the father as the father's filial image. And he relinquishes his greatest treasure. He relinquishes, especially in the hour of the cross, relinquishes the felt closeness of the father. And it's of some cost to him. He sweats blood at the very thought of this. Right? Boom. Okay, so here's even father and son giving away, in a sense, their willingness to suffer each other's absence in a certain respect. Wow. They've shown us that this is how love looks like and what love is willing to do in the face of sin. We'll return to Atonement, Soundings in Biblical, Trinitarian, and Spiritual Theology with Dr. Margaret Turek in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. Litany of Humility O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being calumniated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I, that others may be esteemed more than I, that in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. That others may be chosen and I set aside. That others may be praised and I unnoticed. That others may be preferred to me in everything. That others may become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace 
to desire it. Amen. We now return to Atonement, Soundings in Biblical, Trinitarian, and Spiritual Theology with Dr. Margaret Turek. And the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon us. Oh, yes. The Holy Spirit being that almost the bond, the tether of love that keeps Father and Son united. That's right. United. Though on, in one respect, the Father is giving away, handing over his Son. And the Son is willingly letting himself be handed over. And in some respects, suffering the Father's felt absence. The Spirit, the Spirit of the loving Father the spirit of the beloved son, the spirit of paternal love and of filial love remains the bond between them. All right. All of this is going on. Now there's Therese. We could stop at St. Paul because he models this. But let's just fast forward to Therese. What does she do? Dang. She will say, first, let me, let me quote. Now, I love to point this out because Therese, you know how young she was. She was a little spritz, and she had to get special permission, extraordinary permission, to be allowed to enter Carmel at her young age. Okay? So, and here she is advising her sisters, all of whom are probably at this point older than she. And yet she has this maturity in Christ that is utterly amazing. And she writes, boom. She advises her sisters, hold nothing back. So you asked about atonement as giving away, giving away. In her words, hold nothing back. Distribute your goods as soon as you get them. This is what I do in my spiritual life. As soon as I acquire something. Now, mind you, she's a Carmelite joke, though she's not acquiring jewelry or even a weekly salary. It's, it, so she means merit for a virtuous act or an interior light of consolation, something that bespeaks for quotes, the, the treasure of God's closeness, of, of divine life itself. Whenever I acquire something, knowing that there are souls on the point of falling into hell, I give them my treasures. I give my treasures away. Notice, that's the end of quote. Notice this is different from the cancel culture. Notice those for whom she's concerned, those who are on the point of falling into hell, those who are living sinfully. Instead of canceling them, she says, I'm constantly giving away the graces that I merit or the graces I receive. Father, like a conduit, give them away. Father, you give to me and I give them away in mirroring fashion. I mirror you and so I reveal your generous love before the world. By giving away your lo the love you give me, I give it away to those most in need. Those who are unlovable and, quite frankly, at the moment, are unloving. Yeah. I mean, I'm, it's just so cool. Again, how radical divine love, godly love is. How selfless it is. Yes. So that's one thing. And then she writes a poem. Actually, we're not sure that she herself wrote it, but uh, certainly... It appears in a Carmelite community here in the United States on a holy card that is, it's a poem that is certainly Theresian. It's inspired by Therese, and I'll, I'll leave us with this. It's called Empty Hands. 
I come before you, Jesus, with empty hands. All the secret store of grace I fling into needy hearts, crying in the bitter night of fear and loneliness. Spendthrift of your love. Notice her only treasure, her only currency is divine love. I keep before me your empty hands, empty and riven with the great nails, hollowing out rivers of mercy until all your substance was poured out. So I, my Jesus, with hands emptied for your love, stand confident before your cross, love's crimson emblem. It is the empty who are filled, those who have made themselves spendthrifts for you alone. They fill the least of your brethren while they themselves are nourished by your love. More and more empty that they may be filled with you. I could notice the pattern of that threefold pattern of atonement. Christ, God has the initiative, models for her the disposition and the work of divine law. She looks upon the pierced heart of Christ and that, that's pouring forth this love suffering, this pierced heart pouring forth his substance for the sake of his enemies, for the sake of sinners. And by the spirit of sonship given her, she sees, she understands, she says, yes, I want to be fashioned accordingly. And she's drawn into this mystery and takes up the, the filial love of the son himself and lives with empty hands, giving away the very love, divine love she receives. She gives it away for the sake of those who are still God's enemy. Pretty marvelous. <laughs> It's, it's unbelievable. I mean, if Jesus didn't show us that this was the Father's face, it'd be unbelievable because he loved us while we were still his enemies, right? That's the phrase. And you're making me think of, I can't help but hear this and, and immediately think how this like applies in my own life. And <laughs> hopefully that's not ego-centered. That's just my personalist leaning. But I sit here and I think of how Jesus really does call us to a radical generosity. And this is um, the gift of self. And when I use the word radical, I don't mean like a viva la revolution. I mean, at the root of it. I yes. mean, from the root. Yes. And he calls us to, from the from the depths of what we are as sons, daughters in the Father, he calls us to discover who we are. And this is John Paul II talks about, through giving ourselves away. And this is what- And the total gift of self. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And so there's no, yeah, there's no dragging of oneself, like the part of it. If this is everything. And so I offer it up as a son receiving the love of the father. That's the me consenting. Like I say, okay, I live in a sinful world, but I can be Christ in the sinful world. And that's what I'm offering up. In a sense, what I'm doing is I'm assenting to reality, but I'm also assenting to the transformative love of God in reality that I can live in. But then when I think of, I give it away, I think of how, so the first part, that's just me being, that's just me existing in, in, in reality as a son and the son. And I offer that up and, and, I, and I should waste none of my existence. I should be conscious about that, giving it to the father. But then I think of giving it away. Now, giving away my treasure to others. And I want to say, we've been highlighting the spiritual, the spiritual mode of this. And that is the most important because that's what undergirds everything. 
But this does actually manifest itself in if you have money, you give money. If you have two coats, you give away the extra coats. If these are those sorts of things. And so, and this is what both of these things lead to conversion because I'm, if I'm not mistaken now, I'm not a historian. My understanding is that a large thing that led to conversions in the Roman Empire was the charity of the Christians. And so it wasn't just that the Christian, now the Christians performed both things. They had charity in physical manifestation, but it was completely rooted in the spiritual charity that was their existence, that was how they wanted to model their whole life. And that led people to be converted. And so when we look at a world today that is eclipsed, God has been eclipsed, I think, and and maybe I call myself out in this as much as I would call anybody else out, we really need to be looking at, am I attached to my material possessions? Because if you, and this is what I find, because grace builds upon nature, if I am hoarding my material possessions, I will definitely hoard my spiritual possessions. But here's the caveat. My material possessions, they might not go away until I get, you know, if I'm, if I'm not paying my taxes, the IRS comes and takes me, or I die, and then all of those things are no longer mine. That might happen there. But the spiritual life is different because if we don't give away what we receive, it goes rotten like the manna in the desert. Ooh, yes. It, and, and so I think that that is something here is God is giving us a way that we can actively live as sons in the sun through this theology of atonement. And I think... Evan, I just want to say, and beautifully said, yes. continue. Yes. Do go on. I, I think this is what outlines... There's a little brief apologia that you have in the back of the book. We'll have to probably talk about this more next time. But this is the real depths of discipleship that Jesus is calling us into. And Balthazar has a lovely book, which you also wrote the foreword to, that I just recently scoured and read so much of called Engagement with God. And I think that it's amazing that we're talking about discipleship right now in the church. I I want to completely affirm that. It's so good. But I actually think that the call to discipleship is more radical than we have been letting on. And the theology of atonement really makes that clear. And Balazar really takes that about as far as you can take it. He's a radical too, as yes. far as, yes, going to the root of things. And, and exactly. Yes. He's a radical rooted in Christ, but he wants to go to the depths of the margins to everybody here. And this is something that is being picked up, and we'll have to talk about this next time I know, by Pope Francis in his current Wednesday audience series that he just started. He's doing Wednesday audiences on um evangelization and particularly has been talking about what it really means to evangelize. What does it really mean to be a disciple of Christ? And I will say there's only two of them so far. He just started this like in January this year. They're really insightful. They're very, they're very small. Pope Francis gives very, he's very, um, uh, he likes to give examples like um, and things like that. And he, and he speaks in a very informal way. And yes. If you go in reading them in that mindset, but think about this theology of atonement manifesting here. And I think we will see that this might have been and could be a key aspect of evangelization that we've been missing in the conversation of the new evangelization for quite some time because we have been afraid of how radical the claims of John Paul II and Benedict XVI 
and Hansers von Balthasar in tow, all communio-type theologians, yes. Yes. have been saying here about what the call really is to be a disciple in Christ. That's where I think I want to take it next time if we can dive in there. I will do my homework then, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to catch up on Pope Francis's uh, most recent audience. Yes. Thank you so much, Margaret. This has oh, been whatever. absolutely a blast for me. Likewise. You've been listening to Atonement, Soundings in Biblical, Trinitarian, and Spiritual Theology with Dr. Margaret Turek and your host, Evan Collins. To hear and or to download this conversation along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com as well as in the free Discerning Hearts app or on your favorite podcast streaming platform. You can also view this conversation on the Discerning Hearts YouTube channel. To learn more about the book on which this series is based, go to Ignatius.com, the website for its publisher, Ignatius Press, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel this worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Atonement, Soundings in Biblical, Trinitarian, and Spiritual Theology with Dr. Margaret Turek.